when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Be seated. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. What a wonderful, wonderful change of pace. Amen. 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 I saw some of you um, trying to show your rhythm and uh, <laughs> disappointed. Some of you look like uh, Steve Martin back there. You were clapping and doing your hands, but. That's okay. God matters our heart, right? He measures our heart. He doesn't measure uh, exactly what comes out, but man, I love that. It reminds me of my grandmother's church back when I was a kid and uh, singing I'll Fly Away. We used to have a woman that would get up and she would sing that, and I mean, you were ready to fly away while she was singing. It just, it just moved you. Uh, you know, and the, the old preacher there would get up and say, well, let me tell you, if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood is wet. Amen? And so... I enjoy that. We, uh, we are coming to the end of the series that we have been on now since January, and uh, this isn't the last week. Next week will be the last week, but today I'm going to look at the last character in this series uh, for the last, uh, I guess, 14, 15 weeks. Uh, we have been studying what it means to be found faithful, and we started this series off back in January by looking at a definition of faith. If I was to ask you to define what faith means, how do you describe faith, how do you explain what faith is to somebody that may not know, uh, we went back to Hebrews chapter 11 and the definition of faith that's given there. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 in the Bible is called the roll call of faith. The writer of Hebrews put together a whole chapter of Old Testament characters that he uh, described their actions and their acts and how those acts of faith were used by God for incredible things. And he starts the chapter off by giving us probably the best definition of faith. And that is what has driven us all throughout this series. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 says this, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that's, that's a definition of our faith in God. And each week over these last several months, we've examined different people and how those different people, normal, everyday people just like us, people that had struggles, people that had fears, people that had difficulties, uh, people that, that had, had uh, allowed fear to keep them from living for God, people that questioned what God was trying to do in their life. We've examined all of these characters. Some of them were men, some of them were women, some of them were old, some of them were young, but none of them we're super Christians. None of them had something that you and I don't have available today. It's easy to read sometimes in the Bible and think, you know, maybe they had something extra. Maybe God gave them something that he didn't give me or, or is not available to me. But they've proven to us that they were just like us. They didn't have anything extra. They had faith. And that faith uh, depended on what God was doing in their life and how they exhibited it in the things that came up and the things that they encountered. Now, some of the people that we've looked at were well-known, some were obscure, but, but all of them allowed their faith in God to change their life. They allowed their faith in God to change the lives of those around them. Some of their faith actions changed history. 
And God, through these lessons, has been teaching us practical everyday things that we can do uh, in our faith, practical everything, everyday lessons that we can apply to learn how to grow in Christ. And I hope that this series has meant something to you. If you missed a week, go back online and listen to it, uh, because I believe there's something to learn from each one of these people. And uh, the thing that jumps out is no matter who they were, no matter what they encountered, they all had two things in common. Uh, From the Old Testament to the New Testament, all of them uh, had two things that we can find common in every one of their story. The first one, they had faith. Uh, now, that's a given. That's the easy one. They, uh, that's part of the title of the series. They had faith in God, and they allowed that faith to do something in and through them to cause them to trust God. And now, faith, as we've been looking at it, uh, we've understood that sometimes we have just a little faith. Sometimes we have a lot of faith. And the characters that we've looked at have been examples of that. Some of them had great faith. Some of them had fear and just a little faith. But one of the things that we've learned is it's not about how much faith we have. It's who we place our faith in. And it's what we do with the faith that we've been given. You see, all of us in here easily, according to the Bible standard, would be called small faith. There's nobody in here that has great faith because the Bible says, Jesus says, if we had just the faith of a mustard seed, we could speak to the mountains and the mountains would move. And I'm not seeing any mountains move. Uh, So most of us probably don't have the faith of a mustard seed. But God said that's okay because it's not about how much faith we have. It's what we do with what we've been given. And that leads us to the second characteristic that that we have. You see, what God does is he takes that measure of faith that we have, that we give to him, and he uses it to do some incredible things. He uses that little bit of faith that we give back to him to do things that you and I could never accomplish on our own. But you see, the second thing, not did just they had faith, but they acted on their faith. Everyone that we've looked at acted on their faith. They allowed their faith to cause them to move. You see, that's where it gets to be a struggle for you and I because, you see, faith, by its very definition, implies action. You see, faith isn't faith if it's not acted on. It's just a theory. See, a lot of us have great theories, but it doesn't become faith until we move on it. I I can say, as I've told you before, this chair will hold me. I have faith that that chair will hold me, but that's just a theory. That's not faith. It doesn't become faith until I go and I sit in that chair. Some of you have done trust falls. Have you ever done trust falls where you get people to line up and you stand on a platform and they cross their arms and you turn around and cross your arms and you fall backwards trusting that they will catch you? Now, you see, that is not faith in those people catching you until you fall. You can walk around and say, I know they can catch me. They're big guys or big girls, and I've seen them catch other people, and it's no big deal for them to catch me. I know they can catch me, but it doesn't become faith until you actually fall. And you see, that's where the problem comes in many Christians' lives. We, we're not walking by faith. We're walking by theory. We have some great theories about what God can do. We have some great theories about what the Bible says God wants to do in our lives. We know the Bible says that if we give out of what we have to him, he is going to bless it and multiply it and give it back to us beyond anything we could imagine. As a matter of fact, Paul says to Corinthians, try it. It works. But yet most of us are hesitant to trust that. We know the Bible says that if we are obedient to what he's saying, he's going to bless our families. He's going to bless our relationships. But we have that in theory instead of faith because most of us don't act on it. See, the problem is we hold back. 
We hold back in our participation. We hold back in our giving. We hold back in our commitments. We're scared to take our hands off of it and just trust God. And the problem with that is theory never produces power. See, you can talk about theory all day long. You, you can talk about all of these great things, and I can come up here and preach great series about how God can make a difference. And if it's just a theory to you, if it's not acted on, if you don't walk out of these walls and say, I, I'm going to try that. I'm going to trust God this week. I, I'm going to try that in my marriage. I'm going to try that as a parent. I'm going to try that in my work or at school. Then it's just a theory. And you'll miss out on so many incredible things. You miss out on the blessings of God. You miss out on being used by God. You miss out on making a difference. But probably the worst thing that you miss out on is you miss out on the intimacy that God calls us to in a relationship with Him. Because you see, intimacy, close, hold-nothing-back relationships will require faith. And I don't care what kind of relationship, whether it's your friendship or your marriage, if there's no faith, if there's no trust... There can't be intimacy. And so many believers are missing out on that intimacy and all the benefits of that intimacy with God simply because we read the Bible and we study the Bible, but we don't do what the Bible is asking us to do and we miss out on those deep, meaningful relationships that God is calling us to because we won't step out on faith. We talk about it, we linger, we push out, but we never step out. You see, this morning's character that we're going to look at had both of those. He had faith and he acted on it. But more than that, what I want you to see this morning is that he is someone just like you and I. Someone that you and I can relate to probably better than any other character that we've looked at. Now, the 13, 14 characters that we've looked at, maybe you didn't relate to all of them. We learned lessons from all of them. But maybe you can relate to Gideon or you can relate to Noah or Rahab or the woman with the issues. Maybe you can relate to the thief on the cross or, or last week we looked at Nicodemus and uh, you know his actions there at the cross. Maybe you can relate to those people. But this morning's character is very relatable because he was just a normal, everyday follower of Jesus Christ. He had the same struggles that you and I had. He had the same uh, jobs that you and I had. He had a job. He took care of his family. Had to feed his wife and kids, had to provide for them, had, had all the problems that come up in life. He faced them just like we do. And he just happened to be praying one day and God asked him to do something. Something that seemed so simple, something that, that seemed insignificant, something that you and I, when you read it on the page, it's no different than what God asks all, all of us every week when he says, go and tell that person that you love them. Go and tell that person that you forgive them. Go, go that person at the grocery store, uh, make eye contact and talk to them today. Or God tells you to call somebody and encourage them or write them a letter. It's something that we think is so insignificant. And what he's asked to do, as we look back on this story, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But yet it changed all of the history of the church and it changed all of the history of Christianity. One little simple act from one little simple Christian. You see, you and I never know the effects of our obedience to God. It's like a ripple on a pond. You ever been out on a quiet, still morning or a still evening and the pond is as still as can be and you take a rock and you skip it across the pond? And, and from that one rock skipping across the pond, ripples keep going and going and going. 
See, that's what I mean by this definition. Faith, building on faith. Because that's how God uses you and I. That's how God used this character in our story to change history. Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning is, I wonder how many opportunities we have had to change the world around us by a fact that we walked away from simply because we didn't let our faith lead us. So you have a Bible, I want to, want to look at this guy. Uh, if you have a blue sheet, you can follow along. Let me set the stage for you. Where we're going in context, it's Acts chapter 9. Uh, you may remember from one of our characters, Stephen, the very first deacon, he's stoned to death. It's the first time we see Saul of Tarsus. He, he's a Pharisee. He's a Bible scholar. He's a devout, committed follower of God. He's there when they stone Stephen to death because Stephen is preaching Jesus Christ. The church spreads out. It goes everywhere. And Saul begins to go and persecute the church. That's where we pick it up. And let me set the stage. You don't have to really read along. You can pick it up where I gave it on the blue sheet, but I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people, the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. The, Damascus is north there, Judea. It's in Syria. So that if he found anyone who belonged there to the way, that's Christians, whether men or women, that he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. He was going on a Christian hunt. He was headed north, going up to Damascus to see if he could find Christians to arrest and bring back to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, if you have a Bible that you're following along, you can see that that's red letters. That's, that's Jesus Christ. He's already been resurrected, already gone to heaven. But Jesus comes and appears to Saul just as real as I'm speaking to you. That's why uh, Paul the Apostle says he, to be an apostle, you have to be directly called by God, called by Jesus, called out. He's an apostle because he was called by Jesus here on this road to Damascus. Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, for I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men that were traveling with Saul just stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but didn't see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul's walking to Damascus. He's got a crowd with him, probably some other Pharisees. They're going to persecute Christians. And on that road, he had a come-to-Jesus moment. He had an encounter with the living Jesus Christ. And Saul, the persecutor of believers, Saul, the persecutor of the church, all of a sudden was changed. And some people's lives are like that. Some people come to church and they sit in a pew or they're at a revival and all of a sudden Jesus appears to them as real as I'm speaking to you in their heart and they have a conversion just like what Saul had. Now, a lot of us didn't. Sometimes it's a progress. Sometimes it's you discovering and seeking. But Saul had the first you know, what we would call invitation uh, conversion. I mean, the moment the first verse was played, Saul was walking down the aisle. He was ready because something changed. He realized that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. So Jesus told him, I want you to go into Damascus. He was blinded. And so his friends led him into Damascus to a man named Judas's house, and he drops him off, and they leave him there. It says, for three days, Saul has not eaten or he hasn't drank anything hadn't slept. What do you think Saul's been doing? I think he's been praying, been soul searching. God, 
What do you want from me? God, who am I? What did you call me to? And that's where we're introduced to our character in the story. He comes in, verse 10. He said, while in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, Ananias is our character. That's our normal, everyday Christian. That's you and me. Uh, Ananias is uh, not a new person to Damascus. You know, as they fled Jerusalem, a lot of new converts went all over the place. Many people believe Ananias has been here. Uh, Church history holds that Ananias was one of the 72 that Jesus sends out in Luke chapter 10. If you remember the story, he sends out disciples two by two to go share the faith, and, and they believe that Ananias was one of those 72 and that he went to Damascus, came back to Jerusalem, but he decided to settle in Damascus. So he is in Damascus, a Christian, and he's part of the Damascus church. And he's sitting there praying. And as he's praying, God's going to speak to him. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Okay, I can do that, right? I'll get up and go, go to this house. And ask for a man there from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, at that moment, Ananias probably had to say, now, wait a minute, are you talking about Saul, the persecutor of Christians? You want me to go to this house uh, and just ask for Saul, the man that I know is out to kill, that was there when they killed Stephen? He says, I want you to go there, and I want you to see him. He's praying. He says, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. See, God is putting together a divine encounter. It's the way God always works. But he's working on Ananias here. Well, Ananias answers the way we would. Lord, Ananias said, for I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everybody who calls on your name. What, what's Ananias saying? If that was you and I, we'd be saying, now, wait a minute, God, are you sure? Have you ever asked God that when he asked you to do something? God said, I want you to, to be a sponsor here, go teach there. I want you to get up and go lead this. I want you to write that check. Look, God, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you sure? Are you sure that's really what you want me to do? And God confirms it. He says, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go. For this man is chosen to be my instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Now I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Without a question, it says, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it and he placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul. Why do you think that's significant? Why do you think he said Brother Saul? Because Paul, Saul, is very vulnerable here. I mean, everybody that's a Christian, I mean, you've got a blind guy laying in the house, no one there to help him. He's been killing Christians. It's a great time for Christians to come back. But what does Ananias do? Instead of going in anger, instead of going and holding a grudge, instead of going realizing that he has the advantage on Saul, the first thing he does is he extends love to him. He doesn't come in judgment. He doesn't come in condemnation. He walks in and he says, Brother Saul, why? Because he's letting him know, hey, I'm part of the family. You and I are part of the family. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, he's laying his hands, he's praying on him. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Keep reading a little. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples, the church there in Damascus. And at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Now, that, that's an insignificant story for most of us. It sounds like just a simple act. Go to this guy's house, lay hands on him, pray for him, and then go. But imagine, if you will, what would have happened if Ananias would have said no. Imagine some of the excuses he could have made, right? Think of some of the excuses. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I've got a job. I've got a wife, kids to support. I've got all these other things to do. God, you know Saul is mean. He persecutes people. You know, I, I can't forgive him. I'm holding a grudge against him. Think of some of the things that he could have rationalized in his mind. You know, maybe if I don't go, God will send somebody else. Surely, if this is important, God will get somebody else to do it. Think of all the things that he could have said, but, but imagine, if you will, what would have happened if he would have said no. Something so simple. He's praying. God says, go and lay your hands on this man. Could have been any man. Pray for him, and then you're done. Imagine if he would have said no. What would have happened to Saul? Would he have still been a persecutor? Would he have woken up from his, his blindness and been mad because he didn't see what God was doing and all of a sudden gone back to persecuting and maybe even started there in Damascus with the Christians in Damascus? He, he might have even arrested or killed Ananias' family. See, Ananias may have, by being obedient, unintentionally saved his friends and family. What, what, if, what if he would have said no and Saul would have got up and we never would have had Paul, the apostle? We never would have had the gospel spread to the Gentiles. We never would have had all the missionary journeys that he did and spreading the gospel around the world. The timing may have been different. God may have used somebody else. God may have done it a different way, but we'll never know. Thank the Lord, this one honest Christ follower allowed his faith to be acted on. This one believer in Damascus was at the right place at the right time and he had faith and he obeyed and he showed up at the right time and history's changed. Now at this point, Ananias exits the stage. We don't know anything else about him. We don't hear anything else about him. Paul mentions him over in Acts 22. He's given his testimony. He talked about Ananias coming and laying hands and being an influence on his life. But, but most people don't even know of Ananias. Most people have never even heard. We don't know what happened to him. But we know this, that everything that Paul did or said, Ananias was a part of it because he was faithful. Every journey that Paul took, every message he preached, every person he prayed for, it happened because Ananias said yes. You see, that is how faith builds on faith. See, the reason I wanted to add Ananias to this story, the reason I wanted to, him to be the last character we looked at is because most of us in this room at some time or another have had an Ananias in our lives. Most of us have had somebody back when we were growing up, or maybe even now, someone who may have never known the difference they made in your life. Someone who, who, who didn't do anything special, they were just obedient. They just acted on faith. It, it may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been a vacation Bible school leader or somebody in a youth camp one, one summer. It may have been a co-worker. It may have been a relative, a grandmother, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin. It may have been a, a, someone at school. It may have been an older student than you. But somebody in your life invested a little spark of faith. 
Somebody in your life invested a little spark of love, a little spark of encouragement. And God took that little spark, God took that little investment, and he drew you to him. You see, Ananias made a difference that changed history because he just walked by faith. All of us have an Ananias in our life. Matter of fact, some of you are probably thinking of that person right now. That's how big a difference they were in your life. And they probably never knew. Ananias probably never knew the influence he had. He probably never knew the difference that he made. But that's the way faith builds on top of faith. God takes someone else's faith, and when it's lived out, he pours it into someone else's life. Most of us, when we're thinking of heroes of the Bible, wouldn't have thought of Ananias of Damascus. If I had to do a list, he probably wouldn't be in your top 100. Probably wouldn't be someone you would say, I want to be like Ananias. Matter of fact, if we had to be honest, most of you in this room, if you've heard about Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus, you probably didn't even remember Ananias' name. Probably didn't even know who he was. But I promise you, Paul did. Paul remembered him. Paul remembered the one who came to him when no one else would and was faithful. So the question this morning for us, question for us from this story, simple. Are you letting God use your faith to build and pour into others' lives? Where are the Ananias today? Where are the Ananias that simply, quietly, obediently walk by faith? Not making excuses, not looking for reasons out, but when God calls, simply say yes. Where are the ones who are trusting God? See, I wonder, it really burdens me how many opportunities we walk by every day how many history making opportunities how many saws that could have changed america have we walked by because we allowed our excuses to override our obedience see i wanted this to be the last character because ananias's story reminds us of two very simple truths Two truths that we got here and there from some of the other characters, but it, it's front and center in Ananias' story. And the first is simply that God can and will use any one of us. See, God doesn't use the perfect. As the video said, there's not one perfect person in here. God could have sent an apostle to Saul. He could have said, listen, Saul is going to turn into Paul and he's a big deal, so I need to guarantee that this works out right, so I'm going to send one of my big guys, one of the big guns up from Jerusalem. He didn't. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to trust this because I'm looking for somebody that's available and willing. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to always have everything right. Your life doesn't have to be perfect. Everything doesn't have to, to fit in exactly the way you think it should. All you've got to do is be willing and available. Ananias was just praying. He was just sensitive. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, i got a job for you. Just willing to listen. Just willing to trust. 
See, we can't allow our fear, can't allow our excuses to hold us back. Because who on this side of heaven can imagine how God wants to use you? You see, God can use every one of us in this room. God can use us in ways that you could never imagine. And you may never see it. You may never be a part of it. We don't know if Ananias ever saw it. You may never recognize what he does. But I promise you, when you get to heaven, you will. God can and will use anybody that's willing. And the second lesson, which is probably just as important as a reminder, there are no tasks insignificant in God's kingdoms. You see, never underestimate what God is asking you to do. Never think that what God is telling you to do is not important because if God is calling you to it, if God is prepared for it, if there is a divine encounter there, then God has a purpose. See, you think, it's no big deal. I'm just telling somebody God loves them. It's no big deal. I'm just writing a check. It's no big deal. I'm just... Keeping the nursery. It's no big deal. I, you know, I just got up and came to church or I just told this person that's a co-worker, let me pray for you. That's not really a big deal. Never underestimate what God is trying to plan. There are no roles small in the kingdom of God. Reminds me of the story of the little boy, many of you have heard that was on the beach one morning, and like happens on the beach, a lot of uh, shells had washed up on the beach, and on this morning, many starfish had washed up on this beach in the south. A little boy was out there picking up starfish and throwing them in the ocean, hundreds of starfish. A couple came along as they were walking, and, and, and they saw the little boy, and they said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm trying to save these starfish. And the man said, look, there's starfish everywhere on the beach. What does it matter? The little boy picked up one of the starfish and he said, well, it matters to this one. And he threw it in. You see, please hear me. Don't let the devil keep you and rob you the joy and the benefits of serving by telling you it doesn't matter, by telling you it's insignificant. Remember there was a story of a man that, that uh, was a TV interviewer and he'd gone downtown to a construction site that everyone in town was excited about and he was interviewing the construction workers he was asking them what what's your job here what are, what are you doing here and he went to this first construction worker and he was going back and forth he said listen i'm interviewing people what are you doing here and the man said well i haul bricks kept going went to the next guy I said listen what, what are you doing here the man like many people would have said he said i'm earning a paycheck that's what i'm doing here and yet he went to another man that was working the same task, the same job, said, said, hey, what do you do here? He said, I'm a part of building a skyscraper. See, he got it. May just be working the nursery, answering the door, handing out flyers, volunteering at vacation Bible school, going to youth camp, teaching a class, praying for somebody. But none of those jobs are insignificant. Every one of them has an opportunity for an Ananias to step up. Faith, building on faith. See, everything we do here in the church, everything that Christians do, is all built on someone else before us 
that walked by faith. Someone else before us that trusted God. You see, without Ananias, there is no Paul. Without faith, there can be no faith in our lives. So the question this morning is, who are you pouring your faith into? How are you allowing what God has taught you these last 15 weeks about faith? How are you giving that away? How are you pouring that out? I can remember when I went into ninth grade in my church, we were a pretty rapidly growing church in South Houston. And uh, I was excited because I went from the middle school department to the high school department. And uh, you, those of you remember what it was like to go into ninth grade, we had a large department. And I was, you know, like most ninth graders, I was immature. Uh, probably I was less mature, so I'm still immature. I was a lot less immature, you know, or more immature. I, I, I was disruptive. I was like ninth graders trying to find uh, your way, you know, trying to impress everybody. And so I could be disruptive in class. Uh, I had a lot of older friends, and I wanted to impress them. I wanted to be something. So, you know, I spoke out. I joked around. But we had a saint of a Sunday school teacher. She was patient. She was kind. She was encouraging. And, I mean, we gave her mess. Uh, later on, I ended up dating her daughter, uh, so I got most of it back that I gave her uh, when I dated. She was also my dental hygienist all through high school, which, uh, let me just give you a little hint. Um, you don't want your Sunday school teacher and your girlfriend's mom to be available when you are under gas, okay? That's not a good time for her to ask you questions. Um, but But she was a great teacher, but we gave her all kind of mess. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I was a smart aleck. I disrupted class. When someone would say something, I always had something funny to say. I always threw in my two cents. So it got to be where she would always ask me to read the Bible. I guess she thought if I was reading, then I couldn't be disruptive. And so she would always say, uh, Rusty's going to read to us, and Rusty's going to read to us. And so I got in the habit of reading. And then she got in the habit of asking me. She'd say, well, Rusty, why don't you read that? Tell us what you think it means. And so I would read, and I would tell what I thought it means. Didn't think anything about it. And this one particular Sunday, she asked me to read a passage, and I read the passage. She said, now tell us what you think it means. And so I told her what I think it means. And as soon as I stopped in the quiet class, she looked across the class, room full, looked me in the eye, said, you have a gift of understanding and communicating God's truth. Don't waste it because God's going to use you. Now, 34 years ago, I blew that off. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I was too cool. That, but it, it stunk in the back of my head, back of my heart. As God began to work in me and call me to ministry, I could hear those words. You have a gift. Don't waste it. Yeah, but I couldn't run away from it. Couldn't escape it. I, I, I would, you know, try to rebel and try to do things, and, and I would hear her words. You have a gift. After I surrendered to ministry, after I was preaching and doing ministry, I went back to my home church and preached. They had a big homecoming, and several of us that had surrendered to ministry out of the church came back, and I preached on Sunday morning. She was there. After the church, we had a fellowship dinner on the grounds, Baptist church, so we always do that. Uh, we were eating, and I went up to her table. 
began to talk to her. I said, you, you probably don't remember this. But when I was in ninth grade, you said something to me. And she knew exactly what I was talking about. She said, you mean when I told you that you had a gift? I said, why did you say that? What prompted you to say that? She said, as you were reading, she said, I've noticed before as you shared, there was something different. She said, but that morning as you were reading, she said, the Holy Spirit told me, you need to tell him. You need to tell him this. And so she did. Now, no one else in that room probably heard or remembers that. No one else that was there probably meant anything to them. 28 years now of doing ministry, of all the people that I've preached and taught and communicated with, none of them probably know who Nancy Reese is. But I do. Because she was Ananias to me. See, the question this morning is who will you be Ananias for? Faith, building on faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that God, you send people into our lives. People we may not have expected, people we may not have appreciated at the time, people we may not have even recognized. We may have even gotten angry because you sent them. But God, we're so thankful that they took the time to invest in us. They took the time to be obedient. They took the time to take that spark of faith, that spark of love, that spark of encouragement, and give it to us. Father, I pray this morning that each of us would examine our lives, examine our faith. Are we walking it? Are we talking it? Are we living it? Are we being obedient? Are, Are we pouring our faith into others' lives. God, where are the Ananias today? They don't get plaques. They don't get applause. They're not recognized. Nobody calls them up on stage. But Father, they are changing the world through their obedience. Challenge us. Call us to step out. Call us to go all in, to trust you, to listen to you, and to be obedient. God, we love you. We thank you. That, Father, what you're working together, what we're involved in, the decisions we make, the commitments we make, the people that we invest in, God, we may never see the results. We may never be a part of it. But we trust you. And we know you have a purpose. Call us. your name we pray. Amen. We're going to worship. Would you stand and sing with us? What a joy divine Leaning on the everlasting
Jesus, what a peace is mine.